You are listening to the New Street X podcast, where we interview people who understand the intersection of physical and digital collectibles. We're entering an exciting world in the collectible space that involves things like sneakers, NFTs, trading cards, fashion, sports, pop culture, and much, much more. And these things are coming together. So we're here to talk to people that understand that, people that are really building the future of collectibles around the world. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the New Street X Podcast. I'm excited to have you here today, Connor Walden. He is the CEO of BuySportsCards.com, a fast-growing sports card marketplace that tries to make it easier for people to buy and sell cards online. So welcome, Connor. Thanks so much for being here. I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us a bit more about BuySportsCards.com. Yep. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, so really, like you said, I'm the founder and CEO of BuySportsCards.com. The impetus for the idea of the site was that we wanted to make it easier to buy and sell cards. And by being a collector myself, you know, having been a dealer and now owning a local card store, one of the things that was always really frustrating was how there's a lot of friction in the hobby, both on the buyer and the seller side often, with sites that aren't tailored towards providing that personalized experience for sports cards. And ultimately, there's really not a better motivation to want to build something than wanting it yourself. And so that was kind of the impetus for us to be able to step up to the plate here and and take some of the experience that I have and our team has to try to build a better marketplace and, and make this process just a little bit easier and help kind of get collectibles out into the world so that they can find a new home. Well, it's interesting you, you touched on the friction that currently exists and some of the options people have to buy cards online. Obviously, eBay is probably a, a big one that takes a big part of the market share. But obviously, there's a lot of places you can buy sports cards. And we're just talking about online. Obviously, you can buy it also in physical stores, etc. Were there certain experiences you had or that you would point to as the main sort of impetus that you realized that the experience that a place provided as a marketplace was insufficient for the current supply and demand of the market? Yeah. So I would say I, I really probably got back into sports cards, you know, kind of in full swing towards the end of college, you know, as I was kind of wrapping up around 2018, 2019 and, you know, going through that process, trying to kind of find new cards, you know, flares like a Luka Doncic or, you know, some of the different guys that were coming to, to my St. Louis Cardinals at the time, it was it was a little bit harder than I would have thought it would have been. You know, with a site like eBay, sometimes there's just so many things that are thrown into the titles of items. There's not really any sort of standardization. It made it harder to find stuff. And then also the process of listing stuff. You know, sometimes you, whenever you're getting back in, you don't know exactly what is important and what isn't important to put in the title and how to kind of arrange those things. And so, you know, I have a little bit of background with different stuff that I've done where I've worked with like specialized marketplaces as a vendor. And just seeing the way that these sites that are tailored towards one specific niche are able to offer an experience that's very streamlined, it saves you a lot of time and headaches. And you're able to get, you know, from point A to point B a lot quicker than, than a site like an eBay currently has was really kind of where the idea came. And I started to look more and more for sports cards, options like that. And different sites had elements of it. But I didn't find that there was really any site that had the whole package or even the majority of the package or otherwise I, I wouldn't have done it. You know, so there really was a need for the kind of collecting that I do, which is typically, you know, stuff that's less than a hundred dollars in a lot of cases, less than $10. And so that's really why we wanted to build buysportscards.com, you know, and ultimately we've been able to show great adoption so far with over 7 million cards that have been added to our site uh, since we launched last year. Okay. So you've launched just about a year ago, 
have 7 million cards uploaded to the site. Now, is there a speciality? Because, of course, you talk about a specialized marketplace. Is this, I mean, for, at, at, at obviously at first glance with the name of the company, it's, is it just sports cards? Do you have like kind of a, like a focus on one type of sport? Are you kind of open to anyone that wants to, to upload anything that is related to sports? Like what, to, to what degree do you specialize in terms of what's actually the product on your website? Yeah, so we are 100% on on sports cards. So any sets that are sports affiliated sets should be on our website. We've built up a pretty robust catalog in terms of, you know, providing organization for both the sellers with the checklist data as well as the buyers as they go kind of comb through the cards on the website. So we really have everything from the late 1880s, which is when kind of sports cards started being, you know, introduced and put into different tobacco packs all the way to 2023. And we go across the gambit of sports. So obviously the baseball, basketball, football are the, the big three, but even we get down, you know, into some of the, to the smaller ones, whether that be, you know, tennis or boxing or, you know, multi-sport, you know, any miscellaneous sports. So we have a pretty robust catalog and, and that's something that we really want to be kind of an inch wide and a mile deep so that we can provide the experience necessary for sports cards, just because there's such a breadth of inventory that's out there. And if you start to get too far out of the sports cards realm, you start to limit the possibilities of what you can do for the buyer and the seller to make it easier. I, I think it's really important to touch on the fact that like the, the 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 composition of a marketplace is very important in terms of like what a marketplace decides in terms of what to focus on or to not focus on. So like let's say for example, I'm a diehard collector of 1980s NBA and less, I don't know, like some like Larry Bird cards, etc. And I'm thinking through the value proposition of the fact that if I were to just Google something right now about where to find Larry Bird cards, there are several marketplaces. And of course, you mentioned eBay as being like one of the bigger ones. What would you like kind of describe as the sort of crystallized value proposition for what for why buy sports cards as a place for that would be a better option, perhaps for that person who's trying to find those like Larry Bird cards, hypothetically? Yeah. So one of the things that's really great for buyers on our site is because we have a lot of data as the foundation, it makes it really easy to filter and find specific cards. So with a Larry Bird, for an example, if you say you're a big Larry Bird collector and, you know, 1982, you know, one of the years towards kind of the end of his career was a year that you really enjoyed watching him with your dad. You're able to get on our site and type in, you know, 1992 Larry Bird or put it into the filters and it'll show you every Larry Bird card that was available in 1992. If you flip the stock, the in-stock switch to off, you can see everything that's in the catalog. So there's a lot of people that'll get on our website, not only to shop for cards, but they'll also get on the website from the perspective that they want to learn. And so they're able to go through and say, here's every insert card that was created for Larry Bird in 1992. And it gives them new things to collect. And, and that's one of the biggest things, I think, with a lot of people getting back into the hobby. Information is key. And so by the fact that we have such a structured and organized data set, you feel like you had somebody kind of help. You know, I tell our team, I want our team to do the work. I don't want the collectors that get on the site to have to do the work to try to comb through to find what they want. It should be a lot easier. And so that's really where the value proposition that we offer with the marketplace is the structured data allows people to find the cars that they're looking for. And they're also able to find stuff that they may be interested in that they don't know exist. And so that's where we see people spending, you know, the average user is, you know, 12 to 15 minutes on the site whenever in each visit. So we see people spending a lot of time just window shopping, looking around and starting to find stuff that is going to be kind of their next PC. That is wonderful. I think to myself that the way you talk about information being key and like the need for data, it, it kind of is like, from my opinion, like 
a fairly modern approach to this. You know, when a lot of these marketplaces were first created, let's say decades ago, there's like an advantage in the fact that you built this in 2022 because you're kind of taking the mindset of what a 2022 collector is versus someone who's collecting in 2003. I think this is like a massive, massive advantage here. I mean, as you look to the, the future here, like how does like data, technology, product features, and maybe just like broadening that question, like where do you, what's your ambition for where you want to see buy sports cards in like the next couple of years? Because what I do like is that you have seem to have like a very like kind of methodical approach to understanding the collector journey and building products that can then match those needs. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And it's something that we constantly try to ground ourselves on. You know, the North Star for our business has always been is what we're doing, making it easier to buy and sell sports cards. And so that really keeps us focused on, you know, kind of doing our job because there's a lot of exciting things going on in the market. There's a lot of different verticals. There's a lot of distractions at times. And so it's been really important for us to stay focused one of the things that we would like to ultimately do, and I know you kind of touched on the differences in collecting over the years, we want to use technology and enable the collector more behind the scenes. You know, there was a lot of companies that came in, startups during the pandemic that wanted to introduce new technologies. And there is a segment of newer collectors that are getting in that are more used to those things. But there's a lot of collectors that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, all the way up that have been collecting for a really long time that are valuable, you know, members of our kind of ecosystem. And really we want to provide tools to them that make it easier. So we say, you know, simple is the ultimate sophistication. We can have it be really sophisticated behind the scenes with the database, with the organization, with the catalog. But when you get on our site, there's a lot of things that we've tried to do, whether it be with the search bar, the filters, other stuff, we want it to be familiar, you know? And so I looked at marketplaces like eBay or some of our competitors or even e-commerce sites and and other industries. And it was a big thing for that to be familiar and the technology to be more under the hood. I think there's definitely users that get on the site that know some of the stuff that we're doing and are impressed with the infrastructure we've built. But we've tried to make it accessible, whether you're the most tech-savvy new collector that's getting into the market or you're just an older collector that has been doing this since they were putting the cards in their bike spokes decades ago. And so that's something I think has been really helpful for us because there's a lot of passionate collectors that if it's too technologically complex, they're going to be turned off to it. So we've kind of had to handle those things behind the scenes. And, and I can see from the website, like the, the UX is like fairly simple, you know, like on purpose to make it easy, easier, like to remove as much friction as possible. I also think it's interesting that if you look to the future of, let's say, the growth of sports cards, I mean, right now you mentioned 7 million cards uploaded. I guess your your goal will probably be just like to grow that number as much as possible, right? I guess because it's interesting to me, I think I mentioned this when we last spoke, but 7 million, like I don't have much context as to like how big that number is. You know what I mean? It's like the, the market mm-hmm. in general, there is kind of a lack of data where like the number sounds big to me. It's like nominally, but I, I think to myself, like in your head, do you, do you maybe, maybe you don't go this sort of an analytical, but do you see like, okay, well, Ten million, but the total market size that we could be capturing could go up to forty million, and I think it, like we could grow to ten million uploaded by six months from now. I, I'm just curious because I think it's one of the things we talked about like last time. But sizing the market itself seems like such a fundamental should be a simple data problem that hasn't been solved yet. But how do you think about I guess sizing the market and like what your your growth is in terms of like uploading cards in the future? Yeah, so so that's a bit a big thing, and it, it also hits on another kind of interesting kind of value proposition of our website more for the seller. So kind of to put it into context, I would say besides, I mean, I guess if you include eBay, buysportscards.com is probably the third biggest independent site that has no affiliation with eBay, whether that be consignment, 
you know, or linking it to eBay, whatever, we're probably the third biggest marketplace in terms of inventory. So we have probably close to 1.1 million unique cards that are available on our marketplace right now that you could go shop for. And that's about 2.7 million seller listings. And then we have, you know, seven or 7.1 million total quantity. So it's a wide scope because a lot of the cards on our website are lower dollar cards. And one of the things that we saw really early on, which is great, is our focus was making this easier and saving time in the process. And so what we started to see was the people adopting our site the most were the ones that were collecting tons of cards. They were the people selling tons of cards because you know as you start to compound that interaction of listing a card, if you have 100,000 cards to list, and you can list them on our website, you know, typically with our bulk upload tool, you can list about a thousand cards per hour if you've got them organized by set. Whereas on eBay, you may only be able to list, you know, 20, 30, 40 at the most if you're really hustling in the course of an hour. So, you know, we've seen people over the course of an afternoon list 25,000 cards. And that's really where we've seen the most time saving. So, you know, it's kind of like the buffet kind of example is, you know, the first people coming to the buffet are going to be the big eaters. But, you know, as as you go on and you start to build a marketplace out, we start to see even, you know, medium sized and small sellers and same thing in terms of collectors that come on the website. And we continue to move up the value chain, not from just dollar cards or 25 cent cards, but you start to go to $5 cards, $10 cards, $20 cards. And, and that's really where we see the adoption curve of the business. And that's also where we see, you know, I don't know for sure how many cards eBay has, but I would guess probably a couple hundred million in the, like for United States sellers or accessible to US buyers. And so there's still a long way for us to go, but it's been exciting for us because that 7 million number is about one card every five seconds uh, that's being listed on the marketplace. So, you know, time is our friend in this journey and, you know, hopefully continues to speed up from there. And, And I like how you kind of segmented, you know, card pricing because to me when i think about it like the things that get the headlines in let's say trading cards for example it's like oh this let me talk about this later this one ring card was there was like a two million dollar bounty for that or like here's like a mickey mantle card that sold for millions here's like a record-breaking steph curry card but the reality is is that that is just such a small percentage of like the inventory and and then i think you have like you know auction houses you know like golden pwcc etc that kind of you know tell that big story it's like oh my gosh and like the king of collectibles netflix show this thing was sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars which i guess serves a purpose of getting people excited but that's not where the volume is right the volume comes from people at who are selling 20 dollar cards 10 dollar cards 5 dollar cards right yeah yeah and and that was one of the things kind of when you know i know that this has been a pain point i've had and friends of mine i know you see people will complain about ebay and some of the other sites online you know that's kind of the the fun thing to do and, and for a lot of valid reasons. But one of the things that I had seen in the eBay press release somewhat recently was that for the trading cards in the sports card market, just in the United States, I think last year was about $4 billion in gross merchandising value. And the majority of these sales are happening, you know, somewhere between 15, 20, $25, you know, for a checkout. So it's a lot of cheaper cards. And when you look at a site like a Golden or a PWCC or some of those places, you know, on their kind of fixed price marketplaces, they have maybe 10, 20,000 listings. And there are a lot of beautiful, great cards that people collect. But the reality is that the average collector, you know, kind of the meat and potatoes collector that just loves cards is not spending a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand dollars every weekend. But when they get their paycheck every couple of weeks and and we see it a lot, you know, we know when it's payday because people build up these big carts and they'll spend fifty dollars or a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars. And and that's really 
the kind of collecting that I love. And it's the kind of collecting that we're building the site for. And we hope that we can kind of scale up to meet all of those collectors' needs, which ends up kind of coming in around that couple hundred dollars per card is kind of the maximum that the, the regular collector will spend. I'm, I'm interested to hear more about maybe some of your own personal experiences and like background and stuff, because I know like you also were running like a brick and mortar card store that was focused on TCG, right? Mystic TCG. So you're, you're a local card store owner yourself. And I think you mentioned like you're, you're a dealer. Can you talk a bit more about like maybe some of these other experiences you've had in, in the business of cards before just buy sports cards? Yeah. So really kind of how I got my start, you know, I guess in terms of collecting, I started collecting cards at, at a pretty young age, you know, Probably sports cards and Yu-Gi-Oh cards were my big ones around five or six years old. And I kind of kept doing that up until probably the end of middle school, you know, and then from there, there's obviously a gap and then you start to get nostalgic. You know, I remember saying that Yu-Gi-Oh was back on Netflix and, you know, I just started looking through all my old cards and, and that really kind of got me back into the industry as I started to finish up college around 2019. But, you know, really in terms of my experience from the business side, I, I started kind of finding my cards and started to buy and sell cards. And so my last couple of years in high school, you know, I, I started with about a hundred or 150 bucks and, you know, I was playing kind of Yu-Gi-Oh at that point. I'd made some friends through it. It was a, you know, I at that point stopped playing college basketball. So it was kind of still scratching the competitive itch and kind of, you know, more of the mental side of competition. And so I started to see, well, you know, if I buy a couple of these cards that I need and I flip them, then I can kind of cover my cost of playing and I don't feel too bad about, you know, spending a couple hundred dollars building a Yu-Gi-Oh deck and going to tournaments and stuff like that. And, and, and that really, you know, it ended up kind of engulfing the hobby part of it and the fun part of it in terms of playing, but it became more of a business to me. And, you know, my, my last year, I did over a quarter million dollars in business from my dorm room and it, it became kind of a, yeah, it kind of became a fun business where it's like, you know, two years earlier, I started with about a hundred something dollars and by the end, I had made a pretty good amount of money. And I made a lot of good friends in that process as well. And that's where I met a guy who, you know, he worked at a card store. And, you know, once I kind of graduated and came into my family business and then started to do stuff with BSC, he said, hey, you know, I want to open a store. You, you know, you know the business, you know me. Do you want to go half in on this? And, and that's really where kind of Mystic TCG, which is the local card store that I own half of that does trading card stuff. You know, I, I understood that business well. I, I knew my friend and I knew it was a great business and something I was passionate about, especially providing an experience for people playing the game in the store and kind of reliving those memories I had as a kid. So that's kind of how I got to have a local card store, which has also had a, a big impact on understanding the logistics and the behind the scenes that a lot of the sellers on our website go through, whether they're you know selling out of their house, similar to my dorm room, like I was, or whether they have a brick and mortar store like I do and have employees and you know, need to make it simple because not every kid that you'll hire, you know, at minimum wage is going to have the expertise of knowing exactly what each card is. And so that's where, you know, us having those kind of tools and the data make it so easy that they can hire people that, that don't have a lot of domain knowledge and they're able to get started quickly on buysportscards.com. No, I, I love how you've got all these like stacked experiences that not everybody else has, you know, like people I talk to who've, who are, who are like setting up marketplaces or work in marketplaces, they don't always have that sort of range i'd love to dive deeper into when you were selling from your dorm room one and two like the card store experience maybe first when the, from like the dorm room like the hustle i you know i hear a story like this where it's like okay you just got started into Yu-Gi-Oh. the next thing you know you're making quarter million dollars I'm sure it didn't happen just overnight but what what was the advantage you had was it just that you were so deep into Yu-Gi-Oh that you knew 
okay, this this card is undervalued right now. You know, because also like I don't know the, the data behind this. Presumably, you know, there aren't dozens and dozens of databases online where you can just kind of understand the price of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. But like, how did you kind of go step by step to be like, okay, here's my Yu-Gi-Oh card collection. How do I turn that into like $250,000, right? Is it just a matter of you being so totally on it and understanding the market so well where you realize, okay, I just bought this for 50 bucks. Then I go to like a tournament, I can sell it for a hundred and just do that over and over again. I'm just really like curious to dive deep into like the nuts and bolts to the extent that you can, of course, because I'm sure it's like, there's a longer story there. Like how, how does one go from just like collecting to actually making money from it? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that was nice for me at that time, obviously, was being in college because you do have, you know, a couple classes a day, but you've got a lot of free time. And I think one of the the advantages that I had, I have a very obsessive personality. And so, you know, when it comes to something like that, I was, I guess that's more in the later days, but really in business, I think relationships is a really important thing. And I think you see it in the sports card market and also the trading card market. One of the things that I kind of started to see was that a lot of the people that were buying and selling the cards, they were doing it more passively at that time, you know, around 2015, 2016, if they weren't a store. And, and at that point, people weren't really leveraging sites like TCG Player, even if they were stores. So that was where I kind of got, you know, a leg up on a lot of other people. But a lot of the people weren't taking it super seriously and they weren't doing huge volumes. So they were wanting to make big margins off of individual transactions. And what happened a lot of the times is that people would sell a card, you know, for $10 for, it's $10 card, they may sell it for $4 or five. And I started to see if I can ramp my volume up and do hundreds of packages a day, it's worth the trip to the post office. It's worth an hour for me sitting down because some of the time is obviously a variable time for each package, but there's the fixed time of setting up and going to the post office. It's like, whether I had, you know, 500 packages or whether I had five packages, it still took me the same amount of time to drive them to the post office. And so those were kind of the limitations where people that weren't taking it as seriously were running into, and they were trying to make it up on on the margins of the card. But I started to see that a lot of times they were building negative reputations with the people they're working with. A lot of times people wouldn't come back to them because they were trying to make a killing on them. And it doesn't feel fun to say, hey, you just sold that $50 card for 10 bucks. And so when I would come along and say, hey, I'll pay you $35 you know, or $37 because I know I can make 42 on it or 43 after fees and shipping, I started to become somebody that not only they'd sell to, but they'd bring their friends to. And then I started to go into Facebook groups for these different card games. And I was offering great prices there and I had a good reputation. And so you know, it's one of those things I think it's true in life is you kind of attract what you are. And I was trying to do things the right way, the way that I wanted to do them when I would sell cards to people. And it started to just snowball from there. And it was a lot of hard work, a lot of treating people right. But just kind of like our site by sportscards.com, I think when you do things the right way, people see it, they appreciate it, they tell people about it, and then it organically grows from there. And so word of mouth was a big thing for me when I was selling out of my dorm room. It's been a big thing for our site by sportscards.com. It's a big thing for my store now in, in St. Louis. And so that's really where, you know, maybe it's just kind of a Midwestern value thing. But I think if you do things the right way in business, you get it tenfold on the back end. But if it's just trying to make a killing immediately, people see through that. You may trick a few people, but but once they're burned, they're never going to come back. And so that's why we always kind of try to do the right things. And and that's why, you know, maybe it's sounding easier than it is, but it was a lot of hard work. It was seeing that, you know, kind of like Jeff Bezos says, you know, your profit margins, my opportunity. A lot of people were kind of too greedy with what they were paying for cards at that time. So I was able to kind of undercut them on margins constantly because I was pushing larger volumes. 
That that's amazing. That's that's such a really good business lesson for really anyone, right? Putting aside just like cards, like what you just talked about, building relationships, about like having a good reputation, about like being very like kind of particular about long term margin versus like what you can make in the short run as like as like a quick buck. How did that translate to a local card store? I mean, I, I'm sure it's similar, but also one of the things I think about is that you know if I were to open a local card store today, the economics. To me, I mean, the economics, and maybe I'm just saying this, like, just like kind of brainstorming here, but the economics kind of seem daunting versus if I were to just sell online, right? Like, I, I would imagine if, if you're a local card store that's been around for decades, have like a strong connection to a community, you have like are plugged into distribution, you have, you're situated in a place which has like high volume that's consistent or, or growing. I could see that being like a good a good business, but also I think about all the risks involved in that. And, you know, as, as we move towards e-commerce and we move towards like online marketplaces, what, what were some of your lessons and if they were similar or different to you just selling from your dorm room to when you actually open up like a, a full-on local card store? Because I know in 2023, I feel like that in particular, there there's more at least from looking from the outside in risks involved in that and like maybe some challenges versus 10, 20 years ago when you didn't have to worry about as much alternatives like e-commerce. Yeah. No, no, that's a great point. And kind of, you know, I, it reminded me, I think of one of the things that you had asked before in terms of pricing the cards. So when it comes to trading cards in terms of a local card store, domain knowledge, domain expertise is, is critical. You know, I see a lot of people from the sports industry try to get into trading cards and I see people from the trading card industry try to get into sports cards. They're both cards. They may be similar sizes. They may, they may both have passionate fan bases. They're very different customers and they're very different experiences and different reasons why people are buying the cards. If you look at sports cards, the biggest reason I would say people are buying the cards is to collect them. Then the secondary thing would probably be to invest in them in just in terms of like singles transactions. For trading cards, the biggest reason people are buying those cards is to play the game. And so for me, what you talked about, the knowledge that I had wasn't was that I knew because I was a, a good player. You know, I had topped regional events for Yu-Gi-Oh. I went and played at the Nationals and other games. I wasn't by any means the best player, but I, I understood the game really well, where it was going, where ban lists were going, sets that were already coming out three months ahead in Japan, seeing which decks were going to be good and kind of projecting where we would be. Those were kind of the experiences that, that I had that allowed me to know where I could make money on stuff and knowing what decks were popular, what was going to be good to buy? You know, I might be able to pay 70, 75% on this deck, but only 50 to 60% because this one's more of a niche market. And so there's the same kind of things in the sports card market. What I would say is there's huge advantages to being, you know, doing it at home. And, and there's lots of people, you know, that we kind of, they're kind of called the micro entrepreneurs that, that I'm really proud that our site by sportscards.com is enabled because it's people that, you know, we, we see people that, you know, say things like, you've re-engaged my interest for cards. You know, this is beer money every month. This is card money. I'm taking stuff I don't want and, and turning it into things that I want. And and that's that's great. And then you get that even up to people that are making good money doing it full-time at home. That's great. Now, when you look at it, it's a ladder. And from being full-time at home and making, you, you know, you can probably make a good amount of money, a good living, honestly, doing that. But there's a a couple, you know, basically steps on the ladder that are removed before you get to a card store. And it kind of does become the leap of faith trying to jump up and grab it. And the big thing is that you immediately have some huge fixed expenses with rent, with utilities, 
when you start to get people that are working for you, that becomes a big expense. You know, you've got to have point of sale system, chairs, tables, cases. I mean, there's a lot of expenses that you have to have, not only fixed, but also variable expenses to keep the store up. And that's really where like your business needs to grow pretty tremendously just to even break even from where you're at at home. And so you've got to have some sort of leg up or differentiator that you're going to focus on for your business. For us, my business partner is still very in tune to all these card games, whether it be Yu-Gi-Oh, One Piece, Dragon Ball Super, Digimon, Pokemon, Magic Gathering. You know, he plays all the games, he goes to all the tournaments, he knows all the people. That's really where our business has been able to differentiate because we're kind of the first wave of these people that were players of the game, you know, vendors of the game to open stores. It's always been older card stores or older comic book stores that transition to trading cards. But now we're kind of the first wave of people that played the game heavily. And so we know some things maybe that other stores don't know. But but that's really going to be the differentiator. And what I think will make it worth it for you is if you have some sort of advantage, because otherwise you're probably better off being at home and selling on a site like a buysportscards.com, you know, and, and working a full-time job where you've got more safety, you've got healthcare, 401k, things like that. And then you can bring in tens of thousands of dollars a year kind of on the side doing something you love. Matt, I, I love how you have, again, such a wide range of experiences, even being like a, a player and then running an, an, like an online sports card marketplace to an, an offline like local card store. You know, considering your experiences and also you sit across TCG and sports cards from your experience, are there certain cards that are kind of like most emotionally precious to you? Like certain grail cards that whether they're already in your collection or stuff that you're still searching for, maybe it's across Yu-Gi-Oh, maybe it's across something else. I just, I'm always curious to know, like if you've got your own sort of stuff that's closer to your heart when it comes to actual cards. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, really the stuff that I kind of uh, gravitate towards is the stuff that I'm nostalgic about. So really, you know, I was born in 96. So 2004, 2005 is really kind of my sweet spot when I was in, you know, second, third, fourth grade. You know, I remember a lot of, you know, playing sports at that time, basketball, baseball, football, after the games, you know, going to the gas station or Target or Walmart and always being able to kind of grab a pack if I played good or had good grades. And those are the things that take me back. You know, yesterday was actually four years since my dad passed away. And, you know, there's a lot of things I think that, you know, draw people back to a specific time in their life that they remember with their childhood or whatever else. You know, one of the things for me, obviously, a little bit is with my dad, you know, going to the card store or going and getting these packs and stuff like that. So that that's what I love about cards. I mean, it ties you to a time, whether it be a player you really loved, a player you love now, a team you really liked and kept up with for a certain period of time, which I have some of those when I was in college or even my college. I went to TCU. So this last year when they made it to the national championship, there's going to be players that I want to collect going forward because of the memories I have watching the games uh, with my wife, who's also an alumni. And so that that's what I love about cards. And and for me, like I said, 2004 Upper Deck Power Up is my favorite set. You know, it's really, it's a fun set. It's colorful. The players have the big heads and the little bodies. And, you know, when I, at that point, was seven, eight years old, it was the coolest thing ever. And And, and those are the cards that I kind of try to go back. Now I'm trying to actually get every every parallel in the set because there was luckily at that time they only had kind of four different colors outside of the base you know it's not 400 like now (laughs) but you know that that's the kind of cards that i collect things that i remember opening you know and i get those cards in the mail and you open them up and it's like that smell that's like the new card smell basically but it's like it it takes me back to a time 
uh, in my life where I remember opening those cards. And so that's the stuff I'm passionate about. And that's really why I wanted to build a marketplace more tailored towards like collectors. I mean, I know people collect high end thousand, 10,000, hundred thousand, but just people that really love the cards. And it's not about, you know, that they want to buy this card necessarily because they think it's going to be worth a ton. There's some of that, but there's going to be cards that stay in their collection forever because they have meaning and value to them. There needs to be kind of more forever homes, I think, for cards. And, you know, those are the cards that are meaningful to me. And I, I hope that our site's enabling people to kind of rekindle that love and find those cards for themselves. That's amazing, man. That's a, a beautiful story there. And I think it's interesting to think about how you with, with buysportscards.com is uh, you're, you're really also involved in actually creating the future of the industry, your marketplace being at the forefront of a lot of what's happening. And, and I'm interested to kind of start talking about how you see the industry evolving broadly across cards, TCG and sports and everything else in between. And I think maybe we could start off with just thinking about like kind of kind of marketplaces, right? Like I think about the fact that 20 years ago, you didn't have as many options for marketplaces. Now, the idea of building a, a verticalized, specialized niche marketplace makes a lot of sense. You also have marketplaces, I guess, I guess the, the live commerce platforms function as marketplaces too. But there just seems to be more unbundling and expanding of what it means to have a marketplace. Is this something you see like continuing where like, let's say if there are X number of marketplaces available right now and market share spread between them, do you see a world where that number doubles or triples in the next few years? Like where do you see marketplaces evolving? Because I see the, the, the definite need for verticalized marketplaces, but I also know there's so many industry dynamics that determine what is actually best for the collector moving forward. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting uh, question. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar question in a lot of ways because of, you know, the amount of commerce that's taking place every year across all these marketplaces. You know, I, I can say, I think that there's a need for specialization within sports cards for sure. You know, ultimately our goal is we would love to get from a lot of, you know, our minimum's 25 cents on the website all the way up to $2,500 or even $250, really. That's kind of the sweet spot that we want to focus on. And I think that there's a huge business to be had there because that group of collectors is very different than the person that's getting on, you know, buying an RPA or, you know, buying some of these super high-end cards that you see trending, setting record sales. And so I can definitely see that being a path going forward. But you also never know because there is a lot of consolidation that happens, especially in times like this. And, you know, one of the things that'll be interesting to see, and it's it's been a reason, and this may be kind of a different topic, but I've self-funded this company 100%. So we never went to investors. We had investors come to us. But the, the big thing was that I really wanted to build the business that I wanted to build. I, you know, was fortunate enough to have done well in, in other businesses that I still have, that I can kind of continue to run this business with 0% seller fee still. And that's really been kind of the goal for me was that I didn't want to have our vision deterred because you, you see that happen a lot with businesses that be, you know, are acquired into bigger companies or businesses that take on investor capital is that it starts to dilute the founder's vision and the collectors in the community that had supported that site to get it to where it was whenever it got acquired. And that was something I really wanted to avoid. And it's going to be something that'll be interesting to see here over the next couple of years because there's an opportunity, I think, for these bigger companies to see some of the things that sites like ours are doing, and whether that be incorporated into their own platform, whether that be looked to acquire their businesses, that I ultimately think that they could do a great thing by scaling some of 
the stuff that these businesses have built within a niche. But you'll probably need to bring people like that into these businesses and make sure that that voice is heard. And and that's why we've been skeptical or hesitant when people have approached us, whether that be for investment or for acquisition. But I'm hoping that that it's it, there's a voice within these companies, these bigger companies, or a voice within the industry as a whole that's going to speak for these collectors. Because I believe a site like ours is an experience that should exist. I think that these are collectors that should you know, be listened to. Honestly, like I said, it's kind of the silent majority. Even though there's not a lot of buzz about it, it's where most people are at. And I'm really glad that our site's been able to provide that experience for them. And it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Uh, we're, we're head down working on our site. But the best thing that can happen, I think, is that collectors from every part of the spectrum have their voice heard from somebody. And I think it would be good for all of these businesses to say, hey, we're not going to dismiss the experience that these other collectors have because it may not be as flashy or maybe too flashy. But you know, we're going to try to tailor experiences that kind of meet the needs and, and not treat everybody kind of as a, a bucket of the same. Because even within sports cards, it's very diverse in terms of the people that we see come through. Even a site like ours, there's a lot of diversity within a, a very niche market. So you know, if you treat the whole sports card market the same, you're going to lose some of the luster. And if you start to tr- expand out beyond sports cards into trading cards, into sneakers, into whatever, you'll also lose some of that. And so it's how do you stay true to kind of the essence of the collector, but also specialize for the experience that each person wants. That's the difficult thing that I think everybody's trying to solve. So I'm excited because I think it's a conversation that now at least is happening. Whereas over the last several years, you, you never heard anything about that. So I think a lot of the bigger companies have kind of got a kick in the butt. Well, where do you see, like, I guess, a lot of the growth in the industry coming from over the next few years? Because I, I think, in, and, and not to like direct where I think you should answer this, but like a couple of things, at least from my perspective, come to mind where things like box breaking and live commerce, this is something that I think adds a whole new layer of like entertainment to people that might, let's say, drive up engagement in the broadest sense. And, you know, some people argue box breaking is, is a kind of gambling-esque. So I'm not just trying to kind of be like objective about the different opinions on this, but it, I think it, it's leading to new types of entertainment that might help grow cards in general and collectibles more broadly speaking. I think about things like, you know, the entry of companies like Fanatics that have, you know, acquired the licenses to produce sports cards and have brought in billions, several billion dollars in 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 money to potentially, you know, fuel even more acquisitions. Of course, they've, they've acquired marketplaces and they've acquired like several companies, they've acquired tops, etc. So there's so, there these like different elements that I think you can point to as being growth drivers, whether you like them or not. From your perspective, like what, what do you see as some of these important elements? Like maybe it's the ones I mentioned, maybe it's some other stuff that I haven't mentioned yet, like from your perspective. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think an important thing in terms of driving growth in the industry is going to be thoughtfulness, you know, and, and a little bit to just stitch it to kind of what I was saying is that it's got to be about the experience of the collector. You know, one of the things you know, there's pros and cons to everything. There's pros and cons to a lot of the different parts of this market. So, you know, I'd be quick not to disparage any of them. But one of the things that I see with like, for instance, a box breaks is I'm not sure what the flywheel on box breaks is in the long term. Because the thing that brings me back 20 years later to cards was, you know, opening the packs, smelling the cards, looking through them, the excitement of opening them myself, which you also get on breaks. But then later on looking at these cards in my room and reading the player's stats and starting to learn about the game. I don't know how much that happens with breaking. I don't know if it 
ends up becoming for some people more, I mean, there's some really cool stuff with breaking. The fact that you can target specific teams that you care about, that's huge. I mean, I think that that's something where you can kind of basically become a community and everybody gets what they want is something that you don't get from just opening packs yourself. Something you lose though is for the people that are just getting on trying to hit the big hits and they don't care about anything else because those base cards are never disseminating into the market. A lot of times what happens actually is a lot of those people don't take the base cards. So people that sell on our website come pick them up from the breaker and then they list them on our marketplace. But I don't know if kids that are entering breaks now, 15, 20 years from now, are going to have the same memory of cards. It may be a valid one and it may be one that brings them back, but it's not going to be the same one that brought me back. Because for me, it was the personal experience looking at the cards in hand, sorting them, filling out sets. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. I, the biggest thing is I hope that there's thoughtfulness from all of the big companies and even the small companies in the industry because we all play a part in growing growing the pie, really. We've got to provide easier experiences. We've got to provide information. We've got to provide protection. And sometimes that's protecting people from themselves. You know, I know that, like you said, with the gambling aspect, that's something that people run into issues with. With the investing aspect, you run in with people that get in on false pretenses and lose a lot of money. Those are the things that cause people to leave is when they get ripped off, when they get burned, when they don't have a good time. So I'm hoping that we can have diversity, whether that be collectors, investors, breaking in terms of the experiences that are offered. But I hope that there's kind of the correct guardrails to make sure that people know what they're getting themselves into. They're able to kind of learn about the, the broader industry. And hopefully there's some connective tissue between all of these, because I think that there's valuable things to be offered. I mean, a collector could get into a break and get all the Yankees cards they want. That offers value. You know, if they start to learn about you know, I love Anthony Volpe. I want to buy some of his cards because I think he'll be a Hall of Famer and I can make some money in the long term. That has value. And if, you know, from there, the investor says, you know, hey, I'm, I'm keeping up with Volpe now. Like, I, I, I really like the Yankees. You know, there's some other players in the team that are really interesting. Then that can bring them. So hopefully kind of those three pillars are working off of each other. Whereas right now, there seems to be a lot of friction between the platforms. And there's also kind of a friction from the different users. And I think that it kind of becomes an us versus them mentality when I think that hopefully it would connect more and kind of be a flywheel where all of these things can work in conjunction to grow the industry because they all offer something a little bit different in the experience. That's great. I really, really make, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I'm, I'm really curious to know, so is there something we haven't discussed that maybe is kind of on your mind now as like a trend or a topic? I mean, we've discussed quite a lot of things here and I really like the thoughtfulness comment, but is is there something like a dynamic in the industry that we haven't discussed that's kind of maybe pertinent to what you're doing right now, something that you're thinking about, something you're following. Maybe it was just like a cool card you've seen recently, but it's always curious to know like what, what kind of stuff gets you excited that you're following in this industry. Yeah, I would say one of the things that gets me excited is I think that a lot of the discussion as prices have come down is kind of returned to collectors. And, you know, I think collectors are what put a floor on the market you know, really when it becomes about the cards, I think the better conversations happen, you know, and, and one of the things I think that's been exciting and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, honestly, is I think a lot of VC money got poured into the market, which helped create a lot of businesses. I mean, there's a lot of sprawling kind of tentacles, you know, whether that be pricing tools, whether that be marketplaces, whether that be grading companies, whether that be, you know, collection apps or image recognition. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that the VC money has kind of hopefully funded the next wave. It's going to be interesting to see, though, over the next year, two years, because a lot of that money's dried up in this industry. It's not in collectibles right now. It's in AI and in some of these other 
industries. And so it'll be interesting to see what sticks, you know, what things that businesses take from maybe businesses that didn't succeed and are able to incorporate them into their offering. Because there's a lot of valuable ideas that have popped up. I mean, you have lots of them. And that's that's something that I'm really interested to see where it goes because there's a lot of good ideas. And I would hope that, you know, sometimes people look at things and say, you know, these businesses failed for one reason or another. That means good, but sometimes the timing wasn't good or sometimes the execution wasn't good. And that's where, you know, there's things like people make fun of, you know, pets.com, but then you have Chewy now, you know, people make fun of WebVam, but now you have DoorDash. I mean, so sometimes it's timing. Sometimes it's that the market falls apart and a lot of people aren't going to be able to continue to to see their vision out in the long run. But I hope that, you know, sometimes people get their popcorn out and they like to look at some of these businesses that are struggling right now that have a lot of, you know, debt on their company and that are running into issues. And they like to point fingers and laugh and say, I told you this would never work. But I I hope people investigate the merit of those ideas, because I think that even nuggets from each of these businesses that have passed at this point or may pass in the future you know, those may be the seeds that build big businesses or valuable features on other sites or apps in the future. So that's going to be something that I find to be really, really interesting. A lot of people don't. I mean, maybe it's just because I look at the business side of it because I have a business and I I know a lot of these people that are going through tougher times right now and and dealing with different stuff. But that's something I find to be very, very interesting. And I, I think that it's going to be really, it's going to be interesting to see where the chips fall because there's even some huge businesses that got into the market and spent money buying, whether it be companies or into properties or licensing or whatever, they paid at the top of the market. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of the way that the Jenga tower comes down and what is able to be rebuilt from there, because there's a lot of value. And I hope we don't throw the baby out the bathwater in the industry. Well, so much to digest there. And, and Connor, I'd love to continue this conversation at a later date, maybe, because I feel like I'd love to just keep getting your opinions on the industry. But unfortunately, we're running out of time here. So I'm going to ask you the same questions I ask uh, every guest to close up. The first being where can people find you, you know, on social media, website, etc. And the second being, what's one last message you'd like to leave with the audience? Awesome. Yep. So we're on every social media at Buy Sports Cards, B-U-I-S-P-O-R-T-S-C-A-R-D-S. So that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, threads now, I guess, YouTube. We're on we're on all the platforms. So we'd love to see you there. We do a lot of giveaways and cool stuff and post sports card content. So we'd love you to check us out there. Message I would say is just to collect what you like. Ultimately, I think that's what brought us all into the industry was that we had some underlying love for cards or what cards could provide for us in our life. Obviously, hopefully I'm a testament that, you know, it can become your livelihood. It can become a side hustle or it can just stay a collection. But I I think that finding what you like, it's such a big market. Like I said, our sports card catalog alone has about 16 million cards in it. There's there's something that you're going to enjoy. So spend the time to find it. And I promise you that it won't be time or money that isn't well spent. Thank you so much, Connor. Yep. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the New Street X podcast. You can learn more about the guest in the show notes and learn more about New Street at newstreet.com. Please make sure to like, follow, subscribe across YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and more. Thank you so much. See you next time.